14,000 ostrich eggs. And finally, the RAF has called off the search and rescue mission for Matt Hancock after 42 days. The health minister has not been seen since parkouring off South End Pier during a charity demonstration last month. He is assumed lost at sea. Those are your headlines at one. I'm Tobias Mills. He's James Beauregard. Hello and welcome back to The Big Debate with me, Keith James. We're talking about how the coronavirus pandemic has affected your local area. Jonathan Basingstoke, you've been experiencing some issues, is that right? Frankly, Keith, that's not even half of it. The state of bin collections during this lockdown has been nothing short of a crisis. There was a time when an Englishman could rely on his refuse being collected on a weekly basis, but now we've allowed our rights to be chipped away to once a fortnight. And now with all this, it's less a fair collection when they feel like it. So, uh, Jonathan, if I'm understanding you correctly, the bin collections have suffered recently in your area. Has uh, has rubbish been accumulating? Honestly, Keith, Privet Lane Basingstoke looks like Mogadishu at this point. I'm surprised it's not attracting carrion birds. This is a national disgrace. I've recently been elected to the board of the Nationwide Bin Collections Concern Alliance, and I've heard some honestly bone-chilling stuff. There are families in Cheshire who haven't gotten a garden waste collection in three and a half weeks. You have to ask yourself, is this the kind of Britain we want to live in? Would Richard the Lionheart have stood for urinating into an overflowing chamber pot? It's disgusting. Okay, some strong opinions on bin collections from Jonathan there. Let's go to Barry in Clacton-on-Sea. Barry, are you there? Thanks, Keith. I was listening to your caller there about the bin collections, and I have to agree, this country has gone to the dogs, quite frankly. Would, would Winston Churchill have stood for a monthly paper recycling collection. That is what World War II was about. Hitler wanted to take away our bins. And the state of things now, it is a betrayal of the people who fought and died for this country. So, uh, Barry, just to clarify, are you laying blame at the door of the government here? No, no, not at all, Keith. Ultimately, you've got to bear in mind what a worse situation we'd be in if Jeremy Corbyn was in charge. The whole lot of it would be a mess. We'd have a separate bin for jam and tampons and that. There'd be all sorts of left-wing inspections to check what you was putting in each bin. Look, I don't say this lightly, but there would be a bin Stasi, and it is an Englishman's right to privacy about what he puts in his bin in the privacy of his own home. Very strong views here on the state of refuse collection. You can still call in the next 45 minutes. This is Here We Go by Ginseng. Hello and welcome to the free TF that we are starting for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it's the free one. <laughs> right. Thank, you. Thank you, Andrew Law. And um, yeah. we wish you a, a speedy recovery. Yeah, friend of the um, show, Andrew Raymond, Law. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, so. Struck down by the woke left. Of the appendix. <laughs> with, with the, yeah, also known as the appendix. The political <laughs> correctness gone mad. The, the That's appendix what it is. is the wokest of the organs. That's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's it, it gets to too triggered and it just decides, oh, um, I need a safe space. I'm going to explode. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was originally the appendix, but they changed it to make it inclusive. You simply can't stand debating the other organs. <laughs> no, um, we, are, we mm. were very happy to see uh, that uh, friend of the show, Andrew Law, host of Punta Vista on Twitter, at Illy Boshin, um, has has recovered from being cancelled by his appendix mm-hmm, uh yeah. he we are we are we wish him a, a swift and safe a, a swift a, 
Yep. We, try, we wish him a swift and swift recovery as he triumphs yeah. in, the, in the octagon of reasoned debate and logic. <laughs> yeah, ne- no. next week he's going on TriggerPod to talk about his appendixes campaign no. against him. Uh, and, you know, if, um, and, and, you know, uh, as, as always, you know, yes, uh, very good, good, good and warm wishes to him. And go, do go listen yeah. to Bunta Vista. Um, We're very irony poisoned, but we do actually like Andrew Law. <laughs> we should make <laughs> that clear. The, taking the bold stance that we would prefer that our friends do not die. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Whoa. Anyway. Uh, Spicy yes. take there. So I, we are not starting this a third time. So we're going to plow ahead. Yes, we are. Um, uh, 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 okay. So today we are actually going to be talking about another uh, seismic transformation in the economy of most cities, this time pertaining to food. Yeah, the stuff mm. that you eat. Yeah, you ever yeah. eaten food? Just a just a ghoul, Andrew Law, all the more. <laughs> my appetite's <laughs> quite all right, thank you very much. My, my stomach is functioning normally. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> stop! Stop! Ironically, making fun of our friend for getting unwell. We all actually care about him. In a classic mix-up, Andrew and I go into the wrong hospitals, <laughs> and I wake up with no appendix. <laughs> But Andrew, who do you think donated the penis? <laughs> Andrew, two penises law. <laughs> now they've replaced his appendix with a penis. <laughs> just, they're showing him on an ultrasound. Okay, come on. Oh, come on. You can really see the penis. <laughs> What is oh, what is appendicitis but your appendix? The dick of the stomach just ejaculating everywhere. Well, you would think that the appendix and the dick are related because they're one's vestigial. <laughs> yeah. Okay, for the love of God. <laughs> d- d- moratorium. Yes. Um, the last word on this is us wishing Andrew a swift recovery and we are glad that he's okay. Yeah. No more about this. I don't want to have to keep doing this so that our position <laughs> is clear. Enjoy your new penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're um we're talking a little bit about uh about food. Uh, we are talking about sorry, fuck. Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is gonna be a good one. I can tell. <laughs> so we're talking about food and restaurants specifically, and how those have been transformed. Uh, to be, it's again not transformed by the pandemic, but transformed by the you know the the startupification and uh, tech companification of more and more sectors That's of the a economy. Horrifying word you've just invented: the tech companification. Smog levels of word usage there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm very good with all of them. Uh, mm. So basically, this is a trend that's been going going on for a while, and it is around something called dark kitchens. Uh, it has been accelerated by the pandemic, <laughs> uh, but it is it, it's it's the they, they've increased in popularity sort of 
like like um exponentially. Not to be rendered to a CIA black site, but it's just making a big thing of pasta sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you're right. just you're having electrodes attached to your testicles. You can't see anything because there's a hood over your head. It's like it's really hot. You feel like you're in a tropical climate somewhere, and then you just hear the chef's table music playing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, those things actually exist, right? Like I remember like that Vice documentary about like the chefs of Guant- Guantanamo Bay. Huh. Um, and that was, that was such a, it was such a super weird documentary. Cause it was kind of like, it was like the weirdest place to be talking about how they make like special fried chicken mixture. What, what if, what if Guantanamo Bay is still the horrific human rights abuse that we all know, but unironically the food is like really nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. They've just got a Michelin star chef in at Guantanamo <laughs> yeah, Bay. For no real reason, just by accident. Oh, no, they've just it, come up with the, con- the combination mm. of like herbs and spices that makes the, the enhanced chicken really interrogation good. awful, but the lamb tagine to die for. <laughs> well, it's the, uh, that, that, that basically, I think that that's totally realistic that that would happen. Um, this is largely from something you and I talked about once, Alice, which is that um, sort of uh, so many so many people now, especially the chef's table types, feel the need to sort of add some kind of greater mission or personal story to any kind of thing they're creating. We were talking mm. about food in this example, how it always has to be. It can never just be a thing. It always has to be some kind of expression of your past or your yeah, politics well, that's, or whatever. That's why so, we make fun of recipes for being like, uh, I, I oh, first yeah. made lamb tagine and it's four pages of that. And then at the bottom, yeah. it's like, yeah, you throw yeah. some chicken when in the, the sauce. When the planes hit the towers on September the 11th, 2001. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was so, when I knew that uh, I had a calling to make the best fried chicken that the US <laughs> Navy and yeah. Cuba had ever had. And so, mm. and so <laughs> I, I believed perfectly, I believe perfectly, uh, perfectly honestly that we are not more than two years away from like I don't know, uh, like chef's table, like sending some Michelin starred chef to Guantanamo Bay to try to find some humanity in the um, you know illegal. Uh, you know, Vice would send someone to the like the YPG and be like, "Yeah, what's up with the food?" They would send like action. No, they would send action Bronson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are we are getting back on track. Pop up restaurant in the West Village called uh, Guantanamo Bay Leaf. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so. so uh, the the concept of a dark kitchen is actually just a a commercial kitchen without a restaurant attached, um, and so the, what these what these do is they work exclusively for like delivery apps. So it is a right. kitchen that is exclusively does like prepares uh, food that is then picked up by like deliverer or whatever. Which is which is all food now, unless you live in like a plague state. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see if you see something that says Deliveroo Editions on your Deliveroo app. The whole dark kitchen thing emerged in 2017, uh, not 20, not actually 2017, but it started taking off a couple of years ago when apps like Deliveroo and Uber Eats and stuff were needing to serve more people more food uh, than uh, normal restaurants could uh, could produce. And so they just began starting up their own areas that then you could rent space in to become basically a restaurant without a kitchen. A re- rest- mm. Rather, a restaurant without a seating area. And, and, and in most cases, natural- like... Multiple restaurants without a seating area, so like you would oh, have yeah. mm. like a, just a dial on the front that t- like turns to different kinds of cuisines, and then all of the sauce that gets dispensed from a big pipe just changes in character from like ragu to korma to whatever. That's I right. love that the natural endpoint of this is that demand for delivery becomes so high that they have to put a dark kitchen in everyone's house that's staffed <laughs> by you on a zero hours contract, depending on when you order the food. And then the guy on the bike just shows up with the ingredients and you have to cook them yourself. Yeah, that's Blue Apron. That exists. Um, of course it does. <laughs> so uh, Car- so we're going to look at this through a couple of different ways. First, we're get- we have one 
uh, lens to look at this uh, that is going to be the ideology. And then we have one that was a lens. meaty sniff, by the way. You just like really, really just man. inhaled that whole microphone there. <laughs> you mean normal Zizek? <laughs> I, I want to open a small plates restaurant. <laughs> so, um, so essentially, uh, yeah, we're going to talk. Wait a second, wait a second, Milo. Your Zizek is just Slavic just, just Joker. Just, yeah, it's just Dutch. Slavic Joker. Going <laughs> 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 to become. You want to know how I got your Zizek? Uh, it was all the sniffing. So here's a little bit more background. Um, this is from an an Australian uh, uh, um, uh, an an Australian uh, a branch of CBRE, uh, which is oh, like a good morning lease. Thank you, Milo. <laughs> like a, a real like a, a real estate um, uh, uh, lesser. Uh, and uh, um, essentially, they say uh, this is a great addition uh, to the traditional bricks and mortar hospitality offerings," said Leaf Olson. Uh, CBRE Australia's director of retail leasing he said wielding an axe and jumping from yeah. his longship. It is a low cost rental option that takes the pressure off the bottom line and enables food providers to put product in front of a wider customer pool. I love product. I love <laughs> consuming products. I love taking pressure off the bottoms. Uh, it has it has yeah. also breathed new life into distressed real estate assets such as car parks and abandoned malls. Yeah, every car park is now a kitchen. Cool. Love to breathe new life into the mall from Logan's yeah. Run. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to die. You can have karma. <laughs> Getting made karma no, by a twink. You down. You have to. You have to order online. <laughs> There's no seating area. It's just a kitchen. <laughs> we only sell chicken karma. <laughs> twink. That's what they want these days. Michael York impression. <laughs> Never fails to delight me. Yeah. It's so good. Food teleporter. Uh, so Olsen uh, noted that an increasingly popular trend is to fit out an array of 20-foot shipping containers with commercial kitchen oh, equipment. fucking hell. I knew it would be like a containerized kitchen eventually. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome to this, because this is now a huge business that is, that is taking over sort of gr- great swaths of the um of the of the UK restaurant market. Hmm. And most and more and more people who work in the food industry, what jobs there will be left, will find themselves working in or near dark kitchens. It's, it's easy, right? Because that way when you traffic in your illegal workforce, you can just keep them in the same shipping container and just like bolt some ovens into it. Yeah. Season two of the wire, but with more kitchens. <laughs> yeah. Uh so effectively, right, you have to think about so this has to be thought about as uh, I, 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 unfortunately, in all the research I was doing on this topic, they say that uh, the dark kitchen trend exists at the intersection of prop tech and op tech. Oh, it's intersectionality. What? Yeah. Are prop- those the name of the Winklevoss twins? <laughs> <laughs> prop tech is property technology, op tech is operational technology. But as we've established, neither of these things generally involve technology other than that the company owns a computer, right? Fine. Yeah. Yeah, they have a website. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the most, as far as I can tell, like, prop tech is not a thing. It's this is like this is th- what what's interesting about this, and we'll see this as we get on. Mm. Is that the big investors in the like dark kitchen startups are real estate investment funds? Mm. They're not really VCs. Cool. Um, and so it's generally, and well, we have some some fun some fun stuff to get into about the specifics of some of these as we get in. Um, but that's what we're what we're looking at. Optech is basically like different kinds of Uber. Sort of mm-hmm. operational technology, like as as a whole, can be understood as the the efficient connecting of two ends of a transaction. Whether that's 
paying an paying an invoice or getting a taxi ride mm. or whatever. So there is an infrastructural element and a, and a real estate element, and those things are coming together to try to like basically churn out this sort of high volume, low margin item. It's a but it's a buddy comedy yeah. <laughs> between the property guys and the operations guys. <laughs> yeah. So, but those guys will never get on. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fastidious property tech executive, and you're and a you're loose a cannon op tech executive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, whoa! Well, you're just always inventing a bus. <laughs> I mean, this is this so, is this is absolutely like a Kevin Hart movie, just waiting to be made, right? <laughs> so, global global mm. providers uh, include Karma Kitchen, Cloud Kitchens, Kitopi, and then Deliveroo itself. What was that last one? Sorry, uh, Deliveroo itself. Well, oh no, I know Kitopi was the yeah, one I was. Kitopi. Kitopi sounds like a, a nickname for someone at university who was called Sophie but did loads of cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a posh nickname. Uh, Kitopi is a state. <laughs> we were talking off air about like insane posh nicknames, and it is it is yeah. the poshest girl thing to just like have a nickname that in no way relates to your actual name. <laughs> Look, in the poshest British families, the dogs have girls' names and the women have dogs' names. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. The dog so- is called Jessica. The mum is called Mufti. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun, I, I have most of my information here is about Karma Kitchen because it's the one that I find most interesting. But I did look up Ketopi, and they mm. say we're passionate about creating a kitchen utopia, which presumably is where they got the name. Why wouldn't Why you call it Ketopia? Yeah, oh, <laughs> ask them. Uh, yeah. Founded in 2018, see that's when it was most getting popular. Mm. We are the world's leading managed cloud kitchen platform that partners with restaurants to expand their delivery reach. Uh, cloud kitchen. It's on the no, blockchain. Cloud. Just because you use the internet to book the kitchen doesn't mean it's in the fucking cloud. You can't just you can't just say things and just like <laughs> act like they're true. Like that's not how it, how it fucking works, is it? Kind of like oh well, oh you you drive use a rideshare car. Oh the car's in the cloud. No, it fucking isn't. There's a physical fucking car. You just don't necessarily know which one you're gonna get. I think, I think it is like no. I think it is accurate. It's just in the way that like the cloud in its original sense always just meant someone else's computer. So this is fine. This just this literally just means it's happening somewhere else. This this labor is being obscured from you. That's what a cloud is. So th- what's well, what's interesting here, it, right, is that Kitopi and Karma Kitchen are sort of looking at this from two different ends. Kitopi is much more overtly a tech company. Or okay. because they say we provide or much more overtly an as a service company, not a tech company necessarily. They say we provide restaurants with access to state of the art infrastructure at a minimal capital expenditure. So Yeah, one shipping buying, container. Yeah. So yeah. essentially you pay you would what you would do is you'd pay a flat fee to Kitopi and then they would hire all the staff and you would kind of just give them their menu. Give you them just, your menu. Kitopi just go into the shipping container and they're just like pointing at like normal kitchen implements like a salt shaker just going Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> but like this, um, this is just more like more elements of abstraction of labor, right? You don't you don't know who your your boss or your employer is because you are hired by a guy who owns a shipping <laughs> container firm. Al Qaeda model. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally, yes. You don't know who any of the other chefs are. You don't know their name. <laughs> that's know why you. That's wrong. why you were cooking in Guantanamo is because yeah, you yeah. joined Kitchen ISIS. Yeah. You don't even get to know what the what the dish is until you're almost <laughs> finished on cooking it. You're just preparing individual well, ingredients. Guess, that's kind of that's kind of how this works, right? Because this whole whole point Fuck. is by abstracting <laughs> away the entire. By abstracting away the labor from the capital investment by being a middle a middleman that's supplying all of that as a service, what basically me- it means is that you can kind of become a restaurateur 
just with a laptop and then a couple of different services that you just sort of put together. Kitchen ISIS. Wait, so Kitchen ISIS. Anthony Worrell Al Baghdadi. Yeah. You, you wouldn't <laughs> look. You wouldn't. So you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't download a chicken korma. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't, think, don't, 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 don't. Uh, Alice, I think you're, you're exactly right when you say this is about the abstraction of labor. Because really what that means is that restaurant owners now are just customers of a service provider. And the idea for that service provider is to become a monopolist. Yeah, and, and it's just fully containerized into a box full of employees all wearing like blindfolds and shit. And a guy just comes around and turns the big dial that like means that it outputs Indian food or Italian food or French food or Thai food or whatever. Container, containerization is not just what's literally happening with the building. It's uh, what that the kitchen's in. Containerization is much more than just putting things in containers. <laughs> <laughs> containerization what 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 it did was it revolutionized global shipping by making all shipping containers a standard size yeah and almost meant, breaking the longshoremen unions exactly and so what it meant but what that meant was that all of a sudden everything became modular and everything could be as a service that's where you get like fourth party logistics providers coming out of now like that doesn't work unless you have containerization and everything is modular and swappable. Mm. And the idea behind the dark kitchen model is to make everything modular and swappable to abstract the labor from much of the capital investment, which becomes more about buying a service from where the real capital is, which is in the yeah. managed service providers. This is really mental because this is basically like drop shipping, but for food. Yeah, like just like you're you're a restaurant, but you don't have any idea how to make food whatsoever. You've just hired a guy who's hired some other guys who are chefs. You don't know what kind of chefs they are. <laughs> you don't even know what they're cooking. Like you, all you're doing is taking orders and passing them. You're basically getting commission on sales. For some chefs who you've never met, love who to, may be an yeah. ISIS. I, I, I love to go to a Chinese room restaurant and eat Chinese room food. Yeah. <laughs> I'm John Searle, and this is the Chinese room restaurant. <laughs> yes! It uh, is, it is, that is what it is, though. It's a series of, like, black boxes, none of which interact with one another except to, like, ship a little box full of pakora. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a restaurant where you just you order something and you have no idea what you're going to receive. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go to that. It would be in Berlin. Uh, it would be like every so often the table would spin and you get the person to the left of you's meal. Oh yeah, I ordered I ordered some spring rolls, but then a guy just turned up and pissed in my mouth. So it was a really interesting experience. <laughs> to give you a little bit of a of, of an understanding of like this should like if you like restaurants or work in the restaurant industry, this should worry you. Mm. And uh, the market size went from being 0.65 billion in uh, 2018 when a lot of these companies were started. It's projected to grow to 2.63 billion um, in uh, 2026. You know what this is? Aside from Chinese room food, which is easily the best joke I've ever made. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. I agree. What that's it great. Is, what it is? Steamed hams. But what <laughs> if I were to take containerized yeah. food and pass it off as my own cooking? Seymour Skinner just has a bunch of like illegal immigrants <laughs> in a container somewhere who are making knockoff crusty burgers. That's right. So let's talk a little bit more about Karma Kitchen, which is mm. less about the provider. Uh, the it, it's Karma Kitchen is less like a service provider. And, well, we'll get to this, but uh, one of the founders said to the FT last year, "We our ambition is to be the we work of food. Awesome. Wow, yeah, we want to be the big white elephant failure of food. <laughs> a, good, That's a, cool. a, good, a good example of ambition, I guess. Yeah. So uh, Karma Kitchen, uh, their tagline from their site is, we're disrupting commercial kitchens. So 
Come cool, on. just like running in there. They're, they're jackass. It's Bam Margera's company. Just running in, running into the kitchen at Lagavroche, just completely naked, throwing his own poo. It's more of a Gigi Allen. <laughs> we transform industrial space into beautiful functional kitchens and co-working for the food and drink industry. Our first site is in Hackney, uh, very close to Riley's old flat. Hmm. Uh, that's yeah, weird, they, they, they actually bought your old flat and they have turned it into an enormous kitchen it's a weird flex <laughs> uh, our first site is in hackney and we're opening three more in the next few years it's easy to join it's affordable and you'll be in a real community of wonderful businesses who can help you grow the only way it's going to be affordable is if like the, all of the staff are wearing fucking shock collars or something well, yeah. the idea which, which is, you have you are like you are completely divorced from because that's happening at the behest of Karma Kitchen or whatever, and you don't have anything to do with it. Oh, I sort of know what this is now because now also there's a concurrent thing where like the public school boys who used to become DJs are now becoming chefs. I've seen this transition happen like like five or even ten years ago. Like the guy who went to Westminster and did loads of care and got like a two two from Cambridge, he was a DJ guy. That's exactly what he was oh doing. Oh my god, yes. yes. Yeah. I know this guy. I also know a guy in this similar thing who was a DJ in Peckham and he did like a few sets on Radar FM. Then he got like really fucked on like Coke for ages. And then when he came out of rehab, he read the Anthony Bourdain book about being a chef. Oh, cool. and, <laughs> and that and that made him kind of so now he um, out of rehab just had to go back to Wiltshire for a bit and look after my dad's sheep, you know, what? just just actually, well, actually, time. no, that's not even that far from the truth because he so during his weeks he like runs like a fried like an artisanal fried chicken cart, I think, and then on weekends he goes to his parents' farm in Wiltshire to rear cows. Wow, that was very close. Yeah, wow, yeah, that really. Hmm. You got it. I have got. I have got. Like, <laughs> like to be fair, I've I've met these guys so many times. Bristol- I've got a good. This is this is Bris- this is Bristolology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but this is what not started by private school boys. Mm. Um, private school we'll provide man. kitchen space for businesses that can't afford the high rent of bricks and mortar. Said Ecky Newton again, named yeah. after a drug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking game. fucking pingers money coots. <laughs> she was conceived in the nineties when we were fucking partying at the warehouse. Pro- fucking no, it wasn't the no. warehouse project. Then it was the hacienda. That's what we were at the hacienda. I, fu- I fucked a girl in the toilet. She got pregnant. And called her Ecky. Tim <laughs> <laughs> Westwood. No, it doesn't. Tim <laughs> Westwood sounds like this. Yo, dog. <laughs> I've had a child. I've named her after a drug because I'm a fucking hustler. <laughs> I'm stressing off that I have a big. Dog. Uh, who co-founded Karma Kitchens with her sister Jeannie Newton. Jeannie named after the coefficient. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So basically, we're gonna. So it's a little bit of a story here. Um, mm-hmm. When asked about controversial working conditions in dark kitchens, uh, Newton said she quote hopes her kitchen spaces are viewed in a different light. Listen, we only have the shot collars for very good reasons. It's, it's kink. You're actually kink shaming those workers. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm I'm pulling into another a, a little bit more other information here away from Karma Kitchens for a sec. So hold that in your mind. Mm. Where uh, a report by the Royal Society for Public Health has described dark kitchens as quote small boxes where food is pr- produced in dark, cramped, and low paid environments, which are frequently either too hot or too cold. And a former dark kitchen chef who asked not to be identified said in an interview with the outlet East London Lines that he quit his job after feeling dispensable and isolated. Quote, 
No one seemed to care about us. Out of sight, out of mind. I feel like we'd been dumped there. It was really bleak arriving to work each day. It's not like anywhere else I have worked. Yep. Now, I should note here, we have, there was no evidence that Karma Kitchens is like this. But Karma that's Kitchens- the business model, in general, is to isolate and to abstract that labor. And of course it's going to be fucking miserable, and of course there's going to be every incentive for any business to just make it as cheap and as dark and as cold and as miserable as possible to work in because who gives a shit think about boohoo right this Mm. is uh, boohoo doesn't make any of its own clothes it just buys clothes from manufacturers in leicester and then boohoo is able to turn around and say not even though boohoo is putting the pressure on those factories to like abuse their workers we we don't own any sweatshops okay we we have a network of independent contractors Mm. and you know uh, what they're doing is their business Whenever yeah. there's a whenever there's a human rights abuse, Boohoo just does the Tim Allen noise. <laughs> um, so that's that. But that's except, kinda... except when whenever there's a human rights abuse in a dark kitchen, your dark kitchen's company will just be like steamed hams. <laughs> Who would have thought the people producing these ten p each t shirts in Britain were somehow being treated unfairly? Um, no one could have known. So, so, looking forward to extremely cheap pakora and then being like, "Huh, I'm sure this is fine." I would say the story we're going to tell from here is that I would not be surprised in the future if something like that does happen. Except it won't be Pecora. It will be something elevated. It'll be like, you'll get a fucking bun me, right? And it will cost you very little, like suspiciously low amounts of money. And it'll just have a human finger in it. Yeah, exactly. Or it'll have a little note wrapped around the meat that's like, save us. And you'll just be like, huh, that's weird. You'll go on the internet and complain. And like a fun social media intern will reach out to you and be like, we're looking into this very strongly with a smiley face. And then they yeah, just won't. Very yeah, so uh, Newton, uh, Ecky Newton says, drugs, yeah. Newton, Pinger's Newton. <laughs> no, P- Pinger's Newton said, Mandy Newton. <laughs> these kitchens kitchen should be viewed as a massive asset to the council. We designed the perfect space to get a five star rating and take the pressure off the businesses themselves. So, Riley, isn't one of your things, and like the reason why you like luxury goods like wine and stuff, the fact mm. that it is like, authentic and artisanal and hand-produced, is it it not the case that, like, having a black box that dispenses Michelin-star food is kind of antithetical to that kind of thing, and also, like, therefore, the kind of whole Michelin racing system and, like, five-star racing system and whatever? Yeah, it depends what shade of black, though. (laughs) Shut up. No, I... uh, A Vanta black box. Mm-hmm. I, I go back and forth about this quite a bit because, uh, like, uh, I, I like to think a lot about aura and sort of what Walter Benjamin talks about and so on. And I, um, because it, you can make the argument that um, trying to appreciate a work of art that specifically isn't mechanically reproduced or reproducible or that is somehow original because of its connection to place and time mm. is kind of a reactionary ideology. Um, but at the if- same time, it's it's inherent to capitalism to uh, destroy any kind of like non mechanical forms of uh, forms of labor because well y- you have to do more efficiency and you have to make the steam loom and you have to make the the fucking uh, in this case I guess the banh machine that is a miserable dude going into work every day and making banh mi while he's locked in a shipping container. So I think the key for for me the key for this one right isn't the the it's not bad because it's being mechanically reproduced it's being bad because 
what looks like so these sort of abstract, technologized, and repeatable mechanical services are actually, in many cases, end up being incredibly exploitative. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's almost mm-hmm. like under capital, these uh, technological uh, innovations become means of exploiting people more efficiently. Wait, you, you, someone should make a podcast all about that. Weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this is, I find this very funny, right? Uh, but this, and also don't forget, like, right, the, the Newtons have pitched karma kitchens as a, mm-hmm. almost a lifestyle choice. They say, oh yeah, our kitchens are also very beautiful and you can come and like be photographed working in them and so on to like promote your brand or what have you. Mm-hmm. They're as, they're as much about spaces for like meeting and having fun as uh, they're in trendy areas as well. Like they're in, there's the one by London Fields and so on. Me and my sister Disco Biscuit have spent a long time working on the interior design of our kitchens to make sure that they're absolutely jubbly. Um, and they rent out these very glam spaces to artisanal brands and so on. But mm. that was before coronavirus, Ooh. where now 85% of their trade has been takeaway, and they're just about to grow a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Karma Kitchen is currently raising Series A funding to fund further sites in London and is considering expansion the UK and Europe, including Glasgow, Birmingham, Paris, and oh, Madrid. No. Bo- and oh, no. we're, get- we're getting the mechanized five-star munchie box. <laughs> Hell yeah. And the thing is, they went out seeking three million pounds of funding uh, to, to begin doing this. Well, Series yep. A funding is always very responsible, so I'm sure they, yep. they had to justify every penny of that, and they got the three million pounds and no more. So they have, what they have is they have right now, I believe, yeah, they have two kitchens, I think one in Wood Green and one in Hackney. Mm-hmm. They have just gotten a quarter billion pounds from Venbro Basket. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Um, and that gives them a post-money valuation of over a billion pounds. Did they give that guy a post-money cash money karma kitchen? What the <laughs> fuck is a Vengrove asset management? Oh, I'll tell you that. Uh, Vengrove are, are the people who secured and piloted all the WeWorks that are in the city of London. And that awesome. went really well. So they're responsible directly for both locations on Moorgate and Eastcheap in the city of London. Huh. So if you wanted to be the WeWork of something, Vengrove Asset Management will just turn you your company into a billion pound uh, valued company. Great. I, I had to cool. do some estimates. No, the official valuation hasn't been published. Um, but yeah, so if you want to think of this not in terms of not, don't think of it in terms of this company is getting this large and so on. Mm. Think of it in t- of this as an example of this is where capital is going. This is the model that they're chasing. And this is what they're trying to turn restaurants into. And the real estate companies, um, the real estate funds are already basically making that happen. Hmm. Like that change is currently occurring. The real estate funds that did the, exactly this to the office with WeWork and Face evidently Absolutely no consequences. Learned less than nothing. Look, if there are any, if there are any capitalists listening to this, um, I'm going to give you a, a safer investment opportunity than uh, you know Eki and Disco Biscuits Kitchen Company. <laughs> what if, what if instead there was a business where you just bought me a nice car? Yeah. What, what, what if, if you that, paid for my surgeries? Yeah, yeah, it will depreciate in value somewhat. But not as much as this business, which is predicated on a completely fucked yeah, concept. I, I have to say, the number of workers that my new, your funded pussy would oppress mm. is, I, I'm not going to say zero, that would be ridiculous, but it's definitely <laughs> fewer. 
Well, the thing getting is, getting surgery in a shipping container. I don't, <laughs> getting a shipping container installed as a pussy. A yeah. guy from Serbia who's just following a YouTube video. <laughs> so look again. I think the, the the important way to understand this, right, is Franco Margeric. <laughs> the important way to understand this is also not even that because they're saying we want to be the we work of this thing. It's not that not that it's going to fail. I mean, if anything, it probably is a quite sound investment because. Assets, mm. especially assets, it, commercial assets in the middle of cities right now are very cheap. Online, or, there is uh, demand is outstrips supply in terms of online ordering of food. Like, and I'd also, the, it's is a already a casualized and vulnerable workforce that is well, vulnerable to more casualization driven by this kind of trend. Like, yeah. I don't, mm. get in the box, get, get in the shipping going, container, yeah. get in the shipping container. I don't see that it's a business that's mm. going to necessarily fail on its own merits, but it certainly is going to be relatively inhuman. Um, any case, uh, so the uh, and around the, the whole trend around this as well, mostly is mm-hmm. that it's real estate firms who see this as a real estate play because they are trying to shape their investments um, and recover the value of like car parks that they own. It's Howie from Uncut Gems, but he's so, a real estate. In guy. fact, uh, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, has uh, his dark kitchen company, and what cool. he's mostly done is bought up uh, disused parking structures and filled them with shipping containers. <laughs> uh, mm. Absolutely astounding. Okay, I, I love I love to get like my NCP ass bun me. Like yeah, so, mm. um they're and they're planning to use this cash now to expand their model quickly across Europe. Uh so again, like don't don't forget, right? This and this is something you see all the time. Companies are started and advertised as a kind of um middle class lifestyle choice. Like Uber was never supposed mm. to be anyone's full or it was never said no it was a fun little adventure for like retired people who wanted like uh like a fun way of making a tiny bit of money in their spare time and you get to play taxi driver and meet interesting people and then whoops what's this it's all of the same people who would otherwise be taxi drivers uh just like oap fake taxi it's like your dad struggling to pull out in even mild traffic just going oh get there eventually <laughs> so uh, effectively right and again they, what they say is oh this is if you have like a little food stall and like broadway market and you want to like come and do your prep you can rent the kitchen for like six hours and then we'll clean it down and you can do all the prep and so on but because 85 percent of the business is now catering to deliveroo restaurants which as we were talking about earlier are so containerized mm. that like i could just register i could register a company called like restaurant concepts limited or whatever mm. I could then <laughs> ontology yeah. restaurants. Yeah. I, could then, I, could then contra- I could then contract out through one of these dark kitchen as a service companies, whether that's a full service provider like Kitopia or just a space provider like um, uh, uh, Karma Kitchen. Then you could just eat, you could very easily like staff that with a bunch of, with a bunch of people, and then you could they basically go to work. You never meet them. Uh, they and then they can create an ever changing menu based on what your market research in the area re- says the area is desirous of. So effectively, okay. Why aren't we doing this? <laughs> um, yeah, we have to. We have to move from becoming an oil warehouse. We have to get rid of all of this oil that we filled the studio with. It's like a legal pyramid scheme. So it goes. Well, it goes back to this. Um, it's also. I mean, and as much as it all is a pyramid scheme, I think it's it's more of an example of the of that old old biscuit. Uh, all that is solid melts into air because you no mm. longer have a local restaurant that you know. You have a food provider that could be. Lebanese food today could be Peruvian food tomorrow. It's it could three be- different kinds of duff all coming out of the same pipe. 
Yeah, but mm. it's 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 basically a way to all I have tonight at uh, Simpsons references. Well, I, hey, you're in the right place. It yeah. is it is essentially a way of demolishing all of those personal relationships that exist in the food in like the provision of food, which is traditionally a very sort of loving and personal act. Mm. Um, and so, like this again, this should if you like restaurants, this should worry you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hmm. they say instead of raising money down the line from a venture capitalist to invest in all that capex and fit out the sites ourselves we chose to partner with a real estate group who specialize in industrial real estate acquisitions said Eki newton <laughs> awesome <laughs> the nature of what we were going to use the money for changed from leasing sites and putting them out ourselves to basically having a real estate partner who has a set fund to buy the freeholds of the sites and then fit them out for us so i don't fully understand what karma kitchen is actually doing now other than just and they're more of an ideas thing. Yeah. It's more yeah, of I a mean, vibe, actually. I mean, isn't it also just a way of just like convincing whoever can be convinced that these are restaurants? Like it's really there for PR and for show. But really, this is just like in the same way that every other one of these types of operations is gone, this is really just a way of like artificially inflating or maintaining the already existing inflation of very expensive real estate. Mm-hmm. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's but, you, but you have you have you have Ecky and Jeannie Newton yeah, and, 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 showing up to right, like and, make your make like let you host an artisanal honey producing and workshop. I, and I think it's all. Oh, could you please meet my third <laughs> sister? Alice hit me with the drop. Uh, uh, fuck. What shit? You might. You know which one? Yeah. <laughs> Steamed hams. No. no. <laughs> please let me introduce you to my third sister. E E E E E. I was, I, I was also going to add, like, it's probably also important to remember that part of, um, you know, we, it's, it's very transparent what these people are doing when it comes to just like maintaining the value of real estate and stuff. But it's also the idea that like so much of their real estate value depends on this kind of imaginary idea of like local communities existing. So these types of kind of quote unquote, like restaurant companies are really there also to kind of present the idea that, oh, you're moving into this area where there are lots of like localized restaurants. And I wouldn't be surprised if they use kind of things like COVID-19 as a way of basically presenting themselves as like the people who may maintain those restaurants and like maintain, like were Mm. able to maintain that presence. And therefore they are also like the only people who were able to maintain these communities that weren't really communities anyway. They were just kind of big hubs of, very large empty property or very very expensive property remember we talked about taylor mcwilliams that texan yeah. guy who yeah, was like yeah. in, uh in a terrible easy am band but like also was just evicting like cash and carries and restaurants mm. uh from uh from property in brixton right yeah. uh all, all of those spaces are going to become uh like containerized kitchens and that's going to be extremely authentic you're going to be able to pay which has successfully uh yeah they have resisted him the last restaurant that's the last one to say it's not even a restaurant but it's the last one um right so the uh the 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 way to understand this i think yeah of course like like everything where real estate is involved it's basically just new and interesting ways of being a landlord and trying to preserve the value of that investment well, just while well, pivoting to what the market requires. And because what we talked about, just like we've talked about in our sort of macroeconomic sort of step back and look at the big picture episodes, right, is that the the decision has been to rebuild the economy in a way that, that caters to the needs of capital while, while compromising on the needs of everyone else. And this is just one crucial way in which everything from 
in which the workers are sort of further abstracted from the or ownership is further abstracted from the production process, allowing for creating an environment where there's a risk that abuses could crop up. And it's even like taking away the idea of the local restaurant. It is depersonalizing and hollowing out and making worse everything because of the brute ledger logic of capital. It's all for and to the benefit of fucking uh, Tina and Molly, or uh, whatever else. Uh, Also, by the way, this is portrayed as sort of a rags to riches story, but um, Genie and and Disco Biscuits uh, day school in South Kensington was £22,000 a year. Anyway. Well, I'm sure that was paid by a charitable foundation. Yes. Um, So, you know, uh, rich people fucking it up again. Love to see it. So, uh, it, it, consistent with this as well, uh, I also wanted to talk about Squirrel. Squirrel. This, one, this one's ripped from the headlines. We're not yeah. doing the usual thing of when something happens, we ignore it, and we go and do an episode about the opposite thing to that. <laughs> Whoa, Skull, Skull, motherfucker. Yeah. Whoa, Skull, Skull, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. So, but oh, I think Squirrel is relevant to this. Uh, no, Squirrel's been in the news because they like... Yeah, what the fuck uncovered. is a squirrel, and where is a squirrel? What what is a squirrel? Thank you, Alice. That's a good question. Um, They're called squirrel. It's called <laughs> squirrel. Uh, so squirrel is a um a a restaurant in L.A. that very openly sort of is talked about as a massive gentrifier of its neighborhood. Um, and it is uh, the, the, the vibe is like breakfast kind of, so you can get like a fourteen dollar French toast with like homemade jams. Yeah, and they're a big. Cool. They got they basically started as a this woman Jessica Coslow had a jam making company called Squirrel. Um, and why well, immediately a big question is why the fuck would you have a jam making company? That's America, Jeremy oh, Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the uh, this all came to light because. Workers in a dark kitchen, an illegal dark kitchen that was mm. used by Squirrel, uh, were talking about sort of being them being pressured to sort of just ignore numerous health code violations. It's like Breaking Bad, but they're just cooking jam. Literally, <laughs> yes, that was exactly right. What it was was they had a dark kitchen, not off site and not legally, but illegally. Uh, they they literally like locked employees behind a wall, like fucking Pablo Escobar, while the health department inspected the place. And what they were doing back there was making. And I, again, this is such a fucking like it's it's so easy to make the drug jokes, right? making enormous vats of jam with, and there are photos of this, an inch-thick layer of mold covering fucking everything. Yeah, blue jam. It's a special, <laughs> it really enhances the flavor. <laughs> so basically, most of this came to light, yeah, when Jessica Costle, the owner of this asinine jam restaurant in LA, uh, started making pronouncements about police brutality and so forth, uh, while basically having also staked her entire professional life on, you know, a, apparently screwing over, um, you know, people of color. Yeah, and like- she, she, she was like posting rice on stuff about, you know, defund the LAPD, Black Lives Matter. And then the replies would be, hey, didn't you like employ me to like scrape off the foot of mold off your jam? Yeah, <laughs> and make me hide from the from the health inspector. All of our mold scrapers are given the the highest level <laughs> safety equipment and pastoral support. So uh, basically, this all blew up then when Joe Rosenthal, who's a scientist, uh, investigated her food and hygiene practices and found all this disturbing shit. Um, so like I said, the infrastructural and the sort of, I think, the real economy of the transforming industry story is the story of Kitopia can, and Karma Kitchen yeah. and Vengrove. Can and I so read on. John uh, Joe Rosenthal's uh, yeah. thing? 
Mm-hmm. But this is the ideology. Yes. Uh, ideology. Yes. Ideology. What, what he says is, first of all, point one, there was an illegal kitchen space operating at Squirrel that was actively kept hidden from health inspectors. So just, just, just to be clear, as far as from what I understand, the reason that, that I say this is a dark kitchen, even though it's connected to a kitchen, is that it was off-site. So it was basically a ki- it was a kitchen that delivered then exclusively to Squirrel yes. that was run by Squirrel. Th- this space contained all of the jam made at Squirrel inside the walk-in. The fan inside the walk-in freezer had mold on it, and the fan spread mold spores over the jam. The jams were left with their lids off due to improper jam cooling procedures. Damn. The I, hate, j- I hate having improper jam cooling yeah. procedures. Jam, hey, you, it's not good. You need to have good ones. The jam had a thick layer of mold, which one employee described as a quarter inch thick, and which was scraped off into a bucket. See moldbucket.clickbaittrash.com <laughs> for a picture. <laughs> you have to go on Ebaum's world for that. <laughs> and then the jam was deemed satisfactory once mold was scraped off. Employees say Jessica Coslow directly instructed them to scrape off the mold. Men- multiple employees have said they were locked in this illegal kitchen space with the lights off, so a literal dark kitchen, when health inspections occurred. Health inspectors were told that the jam was made off-site, and so they didn't see the mold and jam. And also, it was full of also it was full of rats. Oh, okay. So I nice. I understand this now. So this was okay. So I fully understand this now. So the 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 it was a space that was connected to. Yeah, it was a Pablo uh, Escobar fucking hidey okay. hole. They they were making so, this jam in a spider hole next to Saddam Hussein, hiding from coalition forces. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, this is this is then this is not properly a a dark kitchen, but it. It, it's an extension to it, yes. Yeah. Because I the way they were able, are... the way they were able to swing this with the health authority was, oh yeah, we just do a dark kitchen, don't worry about it. And the health department was like, yeah, okay, we don't need to see where this kitchen is, we don't need to inspect it. That's yeah. fine. Jessica Coslow walks in with wearing like a head to toe white suit with like a huge Panama hat, and she's using a cane. And they're like, "Please, Miss Jessica, there is the inch layer of mold on Saddam Hussein." She's like, "Just scrape it off." What am I paying you people for? I mean, yeah, it 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 is a dark kitchen. It's just it where the like the legal. It's it's very much the same thing as we were talking about Wirecard and uh, and Greensill, where yeah. like. You get in trouble for doing the same thing illegally. It, like the way you're supposed to do this is you just become a real estate firm and you just yeah, like fill a shipping container full of Romanians. If you do this illegally on the cheap, then you're in trouble. Yeah, it's like the, if there's one thing we've learned in this show, it's that the difference between uh, an illegal exploitative hellhole and a a legal business is basically if you filed the correct paperwork. Otherwise, they're indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah Jan Marzalek just reading about this squirrel story in the paper and is like, oh yeah, they had a secret compartment. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> for making <laughs> <laughs> right? it's like it's like the green cell wire card thing where Wirecard invented all the money, but they didn't do it right. So it's, it's, these are very, I think, sort of two sides of the same coin. Exactly. So responding to these allegations, Jessica Coslow said, I filed paperwork and proactively contacted the health department to request an inspection in 2013. The truth is that at the time, I thought I could update the additional space that the little funds I had saved. But the job ended up being bigger than I could afford and my bag would not give me a loan. Around that time, our secondary kitchen, so that's what they're talking about, fell mm. off the radar of the health, de- radar of the health department. Fell off the radar? Yeah. 
just just mm. somehow, despite the fact that Squirrel's main kitchen received regular inspections. Ashamedly, I took advantage of their oversight and did the best we could as we used Squirrel's main kitchen for all our restaurant orders, including jam, and used the secondary kitchen primarily for baking and prep. Sir, it's a stealth kitchen. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to do this the old-fashioned way. I love that. Where she's just like, yeah, uh, I didn't want to pay for it, <laughs> and it seemed hard, so I just did. I love just like the language of its using. It's kind of this, the very whole, is the whole like, I'm just a small bean um, yes. cultivating jam in my bizarrely small lair, which is registered to an island that we don't talk about very much. <laughs> Well, like um, this is the other thing about Jessica Costler, right? Is that she she does this whole like oh, I'm a sole producer and I make the jam and like we'll we'll get into some of the press that she's gotten off of the back of this. Um, and it, when you look into it at all closely, it's just like yeah, no, she told us to scrape the the mold off the jam. Yeah, but then she's just like, oh, I'm I'm 35. I'm new at this. I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, look, the thing is that Jessica Costler is being. She's being discriminated against here, right? Because, I mean, you know, what if, if there's one thing that, you know, we can talk about is that jam for centuries has been the preserve of wasps. Yeah, the preserve of wasps. Very good. I'm just imagining the idea that if this happened in the UK and how, like, you definitely would have, like, one or two unhinged columnists who'd be like, I'd much rather eat um, the moldy jam than Jeremy Corbyn's socialist, mar- like, marrow paste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that's very funny. And the thing, right, the thing to understand about Squirrel... We cannot emphasize it was one of these places in L.A. where everyone goes and they're like, one of the best things about it is there's a huge queue all the time. Yes. And, yeah, toast is, and toast is $12. Love yeah. to see that. There are a lot of places um, like that in L.A. and especially in Venice. Like whenever I uh, got taken out for breakfast when I was there on a work trip last year. Like we in all these places, and it's like I don't feel like it's not even because they're good. It's just because like the way that parking is um, car parking is done in L.A. is so weird. But like everyone mm. sort of converges at the right time or like at like particular times. That's a Gladwell type of thing to say, though, right? Uh, actually, car <laughs> parking explains what restaurants in L.A. are popular and why Black Lives Matter is uh, going too far. Well, look, that's 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 this is going to be my new grift. So mm. practice it. You, you go into Squirrel and they do that thing that posh restaurants do where they have like pictures of all the famous people who've been in there on the walls. What kind of posh restaurants are you going some, to? Some kinds. Of- are you talking about like all the like Pakistani like Lahore restaurants in London where they like talking they- about the Hard Rock Cafe? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the poshest restaurant I've ever been to because I'm a man of the people. Because you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna you just go in there and you're looking at the pictures, and then you're like, is that is that Saddam Hussein? <laughs> <laughs> He's in the kitchen making the jam. I just wanted, like, I, I just want to recall this anecdote because I feel like I'm never going to be able to say this again. But in like the Lahore restaurants across London, um, like the guy, like Lahore kebab house, yeah, like the guys who run like, it, like TF local favorite Lahore kebab house. Yeah, so next time you go to like, like any of the Lahore kebab houses or any like of the Umbala restaurants and stuff, have a look at the walls because the guy who runs those places he photoshops himself in pictures of celebrities and like in their like yeah in their like West Ham branch. I remember like looking at this photo and being like, okay, so you so you like was selling kebabs to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And also somewhere in there is like Robert De Niro. They all came at the same time. 
And he was like, they're all just holding big kebab spits that have also been crudely <laughs> photoshopped into their hands. And he, and, and he was just like, yes, yes, that's what happened. And then it was only when I got older when I realized that, oh, that guy has photoshopped himself into like all these photos. <laughs> and he's just he's like, the only guy who it's like, I'm not in a photo with Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell's in a photo with me. <laughs> Sadly taking down my Epstein photo. <laughs> <laughs> so the follow- this is from uh, one of the most famous people in the world. Uh, this is from LA Mag. Uh, from the opening of the restaurant, um, Coslo brought in a team, including opening chef Ria Dolly Barbosa, and later on hiring Javier Ramos as chef de cuisine. So remember what we were talking about earlier with regards to restaurants becoming these abstract brands built on containerized labor forces. You imagine being chef de cuisine, but your only job is making huge vats of jam. <laughs> also, they made other things, which we'll talk about later. Mm. So both Barbosa and Ramos have come out to publicly allege that they were uncredited originators of what would become Squirrel's best-known recipes. They assert they represent only a, a, lo- a sample of a large number of workers, particularly uh, by POC cooks, who were the real masterminds of Squirrel's cuisine, but never received recognition for their work. Only Typical bisexual erasure. Uh, yeah. Ramos, who worked at Squirrel for two and a half years, directed cutting. This is one of my favorite exchanges in this it entire. It is such a uh, bodies and spaces thing. It's yeah. great. Uh, mm. uh, Ramos, who worked at Squirrel for two and a half years, directed cutting criticism at Coslo in an Instagram comment, claiming that not only did he not get recognition or payment for the recipes that uh, I, I, he contributed to a cookbook, he also alleged that Coslo can't even cook at a domestic, let alone professional level. <laughs> <laughs> like savage. I, yeah. I, how, can I just, be, how can you not make? toast <laughs> i just well that's the whole thing right that's that it's like i just wanted to be a chef and all of these services are out there to make sure that if i have money i can kind of play chef and i assume yeah. there won't be any consequences if i fuck up catastrophic yeah, I, I, I love marie antoinette's new startup milk churn so the, what you have to understand djing but for being a chef what you have to understand right is that the only thing coslo did wrong was she didn't she did this all without hiring Ketopia or Karma Kitchens or whatever. Had she done all of this, the, all of this this way, then the risk for like bad food hygiene or whatever is put on to the dark kitchen provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, you slice it. You you get all the credit for all the recipes anyway, but you never actually meet mm. anyone who's at, who's working for you. Yeah. Well, and you know, all so this- we would have to go on is making fun of her name. Yeah. So yeah. basically, what Coslo is 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 wire card to Karma Kitchen or Katopia's Green Sill. Exactly. Where it's the same kind of thing. It's just she's a little. She just did it wrong. She just didn't do mm. it the, with filing the right paperwork at the right time. So you have to. I think you have to understand again the story of Squirrel, uh, expensive, massively gentrifying, uh, yeah. because she says, um, it massively gentrifying, and and so on and so on. Uh, and, and, and sort of exploitative of these workers and, and all this. Uh, this is this is the business model. It's just the yeah. paperwork is filed incorrectly. Anyway, ultimately, it, like you know, Disco B- Biscuit, Eckies, and Mandy are the kind of gatekeepers mm-hmm. who keep you know working class uh, entrepreneurs like uh, <laughs> out of the uh, out uh, of the business. In a comment on Squirrel's account, um, Squirrel responded to Barbosa saying Jessica Coslo like stole all my recipes and can't even cook by saying. You are an incredible part of the squirrel history, and you brought a unique talent and thoughtful cooking here. <laughs> Sashay away. <laughs> wow, really trying to, just rising above it. Just I appreciate too, that. Too stupid to be criticized. Yeah. 
No sympathy for anyone who signed up to work at a jam restaurant as the head <laughs> chef either. Like, let's just get that out there. Yeah, it's just like it's just it's like what it's just like yeah, it's it's like walking in. It's like walking into a town where you don't speak the language, taking a big big huge shit in the town square, and then like that when someone comes out to yell at you for doing it, you just say thank you for your wisdom. Yeah. Oh, oh no, no hablo español. <laughs> Speaking English. Uh, Coslo. So this is on Coslo herself. Uh, this is from a profile in 2016 where she said the cheat behind Squirrel's success was, quote, this shitty corner on Virgil and Marathon, two streets in LA, mm. where rent is $5 a square foot. I wonder why, and I wonder what that neighborhood's like. Mm. <laughs> I suppose it's like demographically. So, so oh, oh, the cheat is the, is the cheat brand. Actually, it's human trafficking. <laughs> so, uh, she. So she said basically that one of that she's trying to expand Squirrel at the time in 2016. The only thing standing in her way was this pesky neighborhood church where they wouldn't give up the lease. (laughs) (laughs) This community center. Uh, Well, I'll say uh, churches in America quite often are storefronts in malls. Still, still though. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So. Right. This is uh, they're just yeah. I wish I- <laughs> this church is a deconsecrated J.C. Penny. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to kick out the population that lives here and can't afford to own it. Come on. Just like a guy ceremonially with like four pairs of slacks hung around his yeah. neck has to come and like do a little do a little thing in the uh, in the foyer of the J.C. Penny with like I don't know like a credit card or something, and then it's allowed to become a church. Uh, so she says the ne- yeah the next door space where Costa and I ate lunch. Well, at some point. Be- Come part of squirrel away mm. fuck off oh fuck that's <laughs> really um, bad uh, along in the warwick works takeout spot with food that bears a squirrely fingerprint but that's oh this article's from eater fingerprints uh, it's actually mold <laughs> but that's ready beautifully ready to eat on the go think salads that travel well terrines and meat and and beet meat or beet and three veg plates in a wall street journal piece from june 2015 squirrel away was slated to open imminently and i i she told me it would all it would be open already if the church that occupies the middle of the three storefront she's planned to take over would agree to move the church has roughly four members and her 92 year old landlords don't have the heart to kick them out until coslo finds them a new home for their church Awesome. I, I, I love to be the villain in a Disney movie about the, how the community center has to have a dance-off to raise a million dollars exactly within 48 okay. hours. If your church only has four members, that's not a church. That's a book club where you read the same book every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what also is interesting here, right, is the extent to which, uh, which Coslo represents a a brand and marketing operation on top of a food operation with which apparently, um, according to some of these uh, uh, reports, just didn't really have much of an interest in or competence in. Mm. Um, it was just so like, okay, I'll bite. What the fuck is jam? <laughs> <laughs> Coslo has been anointed by the East Coast food-based media as the bastion of all things Californian and vegetable forward and exciting and new. Um, mm-hmm. The New York Times, Mark Bittman deemed Coslo's food downright revolutionary and a cuisine whose time has come. Mark Bittman. <laughs> he also would like to uh, think of Coslo as his culinary soulmate, which coming from the author of Vegan Before Six, says a lot about the pers- per- supposed virtue and perceived class of our food. She's in our food magazines and on our Instagram feeds, at pop-ups around the country, and in J. Crew ads uh, at Mad in Copenhagen at a Yale symposium chatting sustainability and doing calisthenics with with Rene Redzepi during their off hours. She's Uh, flying on this guy's plane. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. when our food, this was very funny. 
When our food arrived, Coslow forensically... This is a really long article. I've just pulled some fun uh, paragraphs from it. When our food arrived, Coslow forensically poked her fork through a salad of shaved plums, sliced string beans, dehydrated soy milk chips, and a lightly creamy (laughs) dressing as if trying to solve a riddle. The salad salad in question was one of the day's specials and not one of her recipes. Her brow furrowed. Mm. Whose salad? So her recipes, now we know what that actually means, the recipes of those two other people. Yeah. the, her brow furrowed. Whose salad is this? She asked, wanting to know who made it. She politely sent it back. It needs more. She started and then paused. And Sarah Story, the general manager, jumped in. Acid? Correct. <laughs> there was no admonishment, only genuine curiosity. <laughs> like Coslo had trouble imagining something coming out of her kitchen that didn't excite her. Uh, someone you, help me tip the acid vat. <laughs> you're telling me that this lady doesn't know how to cook? This lady who like saw salt fat acid heat on Netflix and was like, it needs uh, one of these four things, probably, I guess. <laughs> those, are, those are the four ingredients that exist. <laughs> um, right. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's he, and, and the, the article continues, you know, uh, after a few minutes, the salad returned, fluffed up with arugula, herbs, salt, and acidity jacked up to 11. Coslo nodded. Now it tasted like squirrel. You could have sent it back unaltered. It didn't taste like squirrel. <laughs> yeah, you could have sent it back unchanged. They would. I, I would I not know. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I mean, this is again. This is someone who, had she gotten into the business a little later, could have done this entirely legitimately, just using a containerized restaurant where you just kind of get to play chef mm. because you can pay a little subscription fee to mm. a service provider or a cloud. And they give you your own hat. It's just her mistake was. She, I, Secret I think she, jam container. <laughs> her, her mistake, I think, was quite simply that that the ambition was to become a cool cultural figure rather than, um, mm. you know, uh, a real estate mogul like uh, Drugs it's all, Newton. It's all these people want. Like, if she'd have just wanted to be rich, she's already rich. She must be. She'd have just done something else, something more conventional, like become like a landlord or something, right? Yeah. It's like, what she wants is, is the magazine profile cool. about yeah. like yeah. sending back this salad because it doesn't have enough acid in it or whatever. Because yeah, you're such I'd- a great fucking judge of salads. Just, just, just like chewing pensively on the salad and being like, um, I think you might have missed out the cum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm, more salad. Who's yeah. Steve Tams of these? <laughs> <laughs> no, more salad. Okay, more salad. More salad. Not oh, too much salad. Uh, but yeah, so this is this the, to understand this, right? This is again just the the pure application of just the stupidity that be that having capital. Um, sort of allow it's it's the luxury of being kind of an idiot. It seems. Hmm. Yeah. And and also like, uh, you think the mold is bad in the like the illegal secret kitchen. You're gonna love the legal ones. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like it's and the the way to think of this right is this is a little bit of peering over the horizon uh, as it pertains to an industry. What's coming? What's going to happen? And, you know, I think we have to get ready to see not just a lot more of the sort of exploit ex- the exploitative working conditions and the cut corners on quality and standards and so mm. on, the weirdly low prices, but also to see more of the rise of that kind of a business. The mm. restaurant is really just a vibe because the, its only interaction with you is branding delivered by Deliveroo. The platform economy is really about different pools of capital mm. working together more efficiently to extract more value from you. The and only authentic, personalized form of labor left is mm-hmm. podcasting. 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the moral of the story here is, if you're a rich fail child, first of all, thank you for listening. <laughs> and second of all, if you're going to start you know, a business as a vanity project, you should follow in the example of the only good rich fail child, Wyatt Coke, and sell some big, fat, fancy guy shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect for the boardroom or the disc attacker. Or the shipping exactly. container. Or the disco biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the disco, uh, le biscuit de discothèque, uh, they changed it at Ellis Island. Uh. <laughs> the t- episode title, Le Gavroche de Wyatt Coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do. Let's do that one. <laughs> anyway, hey, look, um, I, I, I think we've made our point. We've yeah. made ourselves pretty clear here. Uh, so once again, uh, I would like to make it very clear that we would like to wish uh, Andrew Law a speedy and healthy recovery. Yeah, I, well, I hope they get that mold out of his appendix. Um, yeah, he ate that salad that she sent back. Very uh, ill-advised. Andrew was rushed to the hospital with an inch-thick layer of mold <laughs> that had to be removed. Um, yeah, no, so also, uh, you know how, what it is. This has been the free episode. You know there are bonus episodes. Bonus. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. I, I'm the only one who's good at doing it. Milo's yeah. pretty good at doing it. Alice, you're not very good at it. <laughs> Do you not like my sexy voice? Oh, Estradiol, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's called Estradio. <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't the key? I, I want to try to do the ASMR bonus. So free. To yeah, do it. Do it. Bonus. 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 Oh, pretty good. Mm, I like the echo. Reverb. Yeah. Bonus. Anyway, I mean, that wasn't the echo. That was me repeating it. Yeah. Well, that's no, a, a human, an analog echo. Okay. Mm. Uh, that's not these containerized echoes given to you by yeah. Kitopia. No. Uh, so no, I um. Anyway. Here's the thing. Yeah, there is a bonus episode every week, five bucks a month. You can get that in your ears. You know what it is. Uh, and yeah, we don't actually make the podcast. We're just the company, the look, holding company. You <laughs> buy the podcast. It's actually produced by a bunch of Romanians in a shipping container <laughs> who we've never met. And I think they're doing excellent voices. I was also going to say, listening to an episode is a great way to have um, a lovely meal inside a shipping container. Mm. yeah as more things get containerized ask yourself what's going to be containerized next could it be podcast anyway help save us from- <laughs> in the future getting getting increasingly nervous as i realize that i am the only member of trash future who routinely works remotely and you could just <laughs> replace me at any time yeah. <laughs> with some people in a shipping container exactly yeah, alice has to go to her home planet and her mic will now be taken by andrew law's removed appendix <laughs> <laughs> um anyway look point being uh, you know there's the bonus episode uh, that you can listen to. You also know that there are shirts, and the bail fund link is still up because that is getting, if anything, worse, not better. Yeah, no, Marcus Brown needs your help. Yeah, Marcus Brown, incarcerated comrades at Wire. Remember, <laughs> you don't have to talk to B.A. Finn. Uh, mm. uh, they are not your friends. B.A. Finn is not there to protect you. Defund B.A. Finn. <laughs> <laughs> Abolish Interpol financial crimes. Oh, and, and buy a shirt. Buy a shirt. We still, oh, we still got shirts. Why not buy one? <laughs> All right. Uh, I uh, am going to go home and yeah. have a light dinner. Yeah, I'm going to go meet someone for dinner. So, yeah, Ooh, fun. All pretty right. cool. I'm going to Hot my day. shipping container to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, talk to you All later, right. everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.